So we're talking about dreaming a little bigger today. And before I get into the heart of the message, I want to tell you some, uh, a little bit of housekeeping information for the church. Uh, everybody get ready to say, oh, okay. In June, unfortunately, because of contract limitations here and things that uh, are beyond our control, we cannot meet here the entire month of June in person. So, yes, I know it's sad. We will not miss you, however, because we've got something planned each and every weekend called Summer at the Hills. That's what you have on your seat right here, all right, is Summer at the Hills. What are we doing in place? Now, that doesn't mean every Sunday morning you'll be able to catch a service online, okay? So we've got them. They're abbreviated, all right? They're written just for that point, all right? So we want you to join us online, but every week we have something for you to do in person with us. The first week is a Saturday night, okay? It's not a Sunday morning. It's the only one that's not a Sunday morning. It's a Saturday night at Burdett Park. It's a family night. We've rented out the entire water park, okay? Not because we want to see some of you in your bikinis and stuff, you know? You don't want to see my, me and mine, but you may, Okay, my, I don't have a bikini, but my board shorts or whatever. But it's rented out just for our church and our church's friends and family. But we only have limited spots. So you go to the hillschurch.info, reserve your spot today for, for Burdett Park, the water park, from 7.30 to 10 p.m. That night is just for our church. We're going to be doing baptisms there as well. But right after the baptisms, the water park is open. We've got drinks and stuff all for you there. It's going to be awesome. All right, so that's week one. Week two is our serve day. We're going to take an entire Sunday, and we're serving at seven different locations across our city. So we want you to sign up and be a part of that serve day on Sunday. So you just go to the same place, sign up to serve somewhere, all right? You're like, well, I can't build a building. Perfect. We don't have just building things. We have things for everybody, even down to your children to be involved in. So make sure you sign up to do that. The third week is probably my favorite week. At Friedman Park, we are having Dad Fest. Okay, we're going to be celebrating Father's Day and having our Dad Fest out there. How many of you know Father's Day is one of the best days of the entire year? I didn't want to say it last week because it was going to get overshadowed. Okay, but it's our turn, fellas. Buckle up, ladies. We're waiting. Okay, I'm waiting for a good one. I knocked it out of the park in my house, and I'm expecting the same in return for Father's Day. So for Father's Day, here's what we got going We've got air rides out there. We've got Dad Fest. Okay. We've got an entire meats bar, just meats. Okay. We have grillers coming out that are just going to do meats just for dads. Okay. High end meats. You're going to be a part of that. We've got food trucks out there. All right. We've got dad competitions, our dad bod competition. All right. So it's going to be awesome. Some of you, you're like, what is a dad bod? If you're not sure, you have one. I have one. Okay. It is the latest and trending ability, the dad bod. And then finally, the fourth week, our final week, probably the one I'm most excited about. I know I just said that. The one I'm most excited about, we're having service at our new property. Okay, so we're going to be having our first service out there, but it's BYOC. It's bring your own chair to church day because we don't have chairs to give to you. So you bring your own chair. We're going to have service out there. It's going to be incredible. How many of you have driven by the property and seen it already? It's already moving. It is starting to be built. It is awesome. You don't want to miss it. It is incredible. Let's pray to get into today's message. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every heart and life that's going to be changed and transformed today by it. 
God, I look forward to you changing lives today. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Today, we're going to be talking about Psalm 92. Psalm 92, and what we're going to be talking about is dreaming a little bit bigger, and basically, through Psalm 92, we're going to take you on a journey. We're going to take you about growth and everything that God has for you. We don't just want you living your best life. We want you living to your full potential in God. So in Psalms chapter 92, verse 13, this is a new King James. We're going old school today. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Say this with me. Those who are Say it again. Those who are planted, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Okay. Those who are planted, they will flourish. They will grow. They will continue to expand. How many of you have heard of the place called Death Valley here in the United States? Death Valley, right? It is the driest part in all of North America. Okay. It hardly ever rains there. They don't get rain hardly ever Okay, I want you guys to see just a picture of what Death Valley looks like normally. This is not a place you want to hang out for fun. Okay, there's just nothing there. Back in 2004, they had a phenomenon that happened. During the winter of 2004, seven inches of rain fell in Death Valley. Seven inches of rain fell, and then it didn't happen overnight, but by the springtime, this is a picture of the same place in the springtime. Check this out. That was Death Valley. So what did we learn? Death Valley wasn't really dead. It was dormant. There were things under the surface that just needed the right environment to grow. Somebody catch where I'm heading this morning? Anybody, anybody feeling that a little bit? Some people just need to be put in the right environment to grow spiritually, and they will grow to their full potential in God. So what I want to do to, today is I want to take you on a journey. Some of you, you realize you're on a journey. You just don't know what step of the journey you're on, and I want to break it down, and hopefully you go, man, that's exactly where I am. That's where I am with God, and this is the next step, and I want to break it down for you. Because life isn't supposed to be dead. You're not supposed to be dormant. You're supposed to constantly flourish. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, Show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, show me the path of life. Once you understand what God has for you, you will then, according to this scripture, you will then inherit the fullness, the, the entirety of God. You will get everything that God has, but you must first know the path of life. Everybody say path, right? You got to know the path of life. You need to know where you are on the path in order to experience God's fullness, so what I want to talk to you today, okay, is we know that we're all on a spiritual journey, and, and one of my jobs, one of my favorite jobs is to make it clear. People call me a pastor, but really, I'm more like a spiritual tour guide, trying to take you to your best ability, trying to help you see what God has for you. And what I want you to do as I listen to this study, God has always done things in this way, in this way, in these four different ways. And, and what's amazing to me is from Exodus all the way through Revelation, almost 16 different times, God follows this same pattern of doing four things step by step by step by step. 
And so what we're going to do is zero in on one of those versions today. And what, we, what we're talking about is a prayer from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul teaches so much, but he doesn't pray a lot. At the end, he's like, he prays a little bit, but there's not many prayers that he gets in depth in. And this is one of them out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And here's what it says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So here he's about to mention the four things here as we keep going on, okay? So that you may know him better, number one, in Ephesians 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, number two, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to, number three, and number four, to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, many of you, when you go know him, you, you, you don't really, it doesn't really strike anything because you're like, well, I know people. But know him in Scripture, when Paul was writing here, it's the Greek word, konosko. All right? I nailed this one, okay? I've been practicing that all week and nailed it. I'm so proud of myself right now. I don't speak Greek, but I'm getting there, baby. All right, so it's konosko. And what, what it means is to know in an intimate way, like a husband knows his wife in the ability to make a baby type of way. Right? It's an intimate way. It's not sexual. It's intimate. So what's happening is God is going, I'm not a religion. I'm not wanting to have religion with you. I'm wanting to have relationship with you. I don't want to be a tradition in your life. I want to be a relationship. And up until that point, everybody knew God as religion. They knew everything. So they didn't even know that they could have a relationship with God at that point. So here's what happens. Everybody went. I had no idea. So here's where he moves on. The second thing he says, you need to know God. The second thing is, I pray that the eyes of your heart get enlightened. The second step in your spiritual journey, Paul actually says, I wish the eyes of your heart, okay, or the message says it this way, focused and clear to which I first read it, I thought, Paul, my eyes aren't in my heart. My eyes are up here, Bubba. And as I started to read that, and as I started to understand that, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul says that everybody looks to life through their heart. Every one of you is looking at me through the lens of your heart, what you're currently going through, the battles, the sins, whatever has affected you, that's how you're viewing me today. We can be seeing the same thing, hearing the same thing, and seeing differently depending on what the world has done or what we have allowed the world to do to us. Does that make sense? So he's like, you have to be careful that the thing you're looking through is not free. I wish you could understand how important it is to have a healed heart, how important it is to find freedom, how important it is for you to be clear of mind and thought so that you're able to grow. I just wish you could see that. You know, I wish you could see how incredibly important it is to have an intimate relationship with God and to find freedom. The third thing is this. You need to discover your purpose. This is what it says, so watch this. So that you may know the hope to which he has called you to. Do you realize you're on a spiritual journey? You're living on purpose for a purpose. 
Does that make sense? Anybody hear what I'm saying? I feel like I'm talking to a ghost. Right? You can see me, right? I'm not dying, right? Or if I did die, just let me go. Right? You're living for a purpose on purpose. Right? You need to be living on purpose. Right? And the Bible makes it really clear. It's virtually impossible to see God's plan when you're so worried about what happened to you yesterday. You can't see through the lenses of tomorrow. You can't go into tomorrow's lenses when you're worried about the scars or the smudges you had on there yesterday. You were called to live for a purpose. And notice the word that hope and calling are connected here. The word hope and calling are connected. You cannot find your purpose until you understand hope. You can't get to where you're going unless you have found freedom. There will be no purpose until you find. In other words, you want to find hope, you'll never find it circumstantially. You need to know why you're on this planet to be found in their family, in their money, in their job. I just need my political party to do better. I just need my job to be better. It's not found in what you have. It's found in who he is. So regardless, Paul said it this way, it doesn't matter what's happening around me. I have fixed my eyes not on the seen, but the unseen. So Paul's not looking on life based on what he can see. How many of you are scared every time you turn on the news? Be honest. Raise your hand. You should not be scared on the things seen. The Bible says that's not the way we're supposed to live our life. We're not supposed to be scared by what we see. We view life through the things unseen in the spiritual realm. But if you don't know Jesus and you haven't found freedom in Jesus, you won't know the purpose to your life. And your purpose is not to use the lens of fear to drive your life. It's not supposed to be like, oh, man, my, my candidate didn't get elected, therefore I'm afraid, and now the whole world's going to fritz. Can't say other words. You need to trust God because he's got a purpose for you and a plan for you, a plan to prosper you, it says. And then there's a progression. And again, I want you to see that Paul prayed how important it is that you can flourish, but you have to have an intimate, powerful relationship with God. You can't do the second one without the first one. You need to understand that his power is a work. Suppose you get out of here with some purpose in your life, doing something with your life that matter, and it ends this way. So you might want riches in his glory. Watch the language here. And fourth thing is inheritance of his people. The inheritance, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. To know that you are grouped with an inheritance of people. What does that mean? What is your inheritance? The nation's. The nations, people are your inheritance. Seeing your family come to know Jesus is your inheritance. Seeing your friends come to know Jesus is your inheritance. The city of Evansville is our inheritance, right? And the Bible says we will see that when we know God, when we find freedom, we know our purpose. Then and only then can we make a difference. Your inheritance means you're in a group of people. You're in a group of people on purpose. Every one of us is in this group, right? We're all here right now. The group's purpose is to get the inheritance. You're not doing this alone, to which I might add, 
It says in Psalm chapter 2, it gives you the nations as your inheritance. So what I want to do is I want to break down, for Christians and non-Christians alike, I want to break down those four points real quick for you. Is it okay if I do that for you real quick? Can I break those down? Okay. The first one is to know God. There are very few people in the secular world that want to build a church. Right? That's true. I mean, you, you can walk around and be like, hey, who wants to build a church? And hardly anybody's going to be like, yeah, me, I'm in. But everybody's trying to find God. How many of you know people that you try to tell about Jesus, right? They're not interested in Jesus, but they're trying to find God, right? They're like, no, I, I heard this, right? They worship all over the world different ways. And you see people doing craziness all over the world. There are people interested in finding God, they want to know God, right? So the second thing is this, finding freedom. Very few people are searching for deliverance ministry. How many people you know if we said, hey, we have a deliverance ministry at the church, you're going to show up. You go and tell somebody, hey, we have a deliverance ministry. You know what that sounds like? Banjo music. <laughs> or be like, no thanks, homeboy, I'm not ever going to your church. Now, that doesn't mean we don't believe in it, but it just means that people don't understand those churchy words. But everybody has an area of their life where they want to find freedom. I have never, never one time met an addict who didn't want to find freedom. Everybody wants to find freedom. The third thing is this. Everybody wants to discover our purpose. All of us realize this. There's got to be a purpose to life. Everybody, even lost people, want to know their purpose in life. They search for it all the time. You hear about it, man. Go to Tony Robbins. He'll tell you. He's praying to craziness, but he'll teach you the purpose of life. So everybody's trying to find their purpose. And the last thing is this. Everybody wants to make a difference. Did you know that God has already put in the heart of every human being, alive, unalive, Christian, non-Christian, he's put the desire in them to make a difference. From the day they were conceived, okay, he put in them a desire to make a difference. You don't believe me? I'll help you out, all right? Secular sociologists have proven that the highest need that a human being has, they used to think that the highest need that a human being had was to win, that that was like what they felt the best, that they had win, they have achieved the greatest job, they have achieved the family they wanted, they achieved everything. How many of you know achieving a lot of things doesn't really add up to much, right? We've seen great people shave their head on TV going, what is her problem, right? Poor girl, God bless her, I pray for her all the time. But the deal is transcendence is actually people's number one need, according to secular sociologists. The need to make a difference in the world is the highest feeling that any person could have. So it's not, it doesn't blow me away that it's also the Bible that introduces that concept. It doesn't blow me away that Jesus has already planted this in every one of us. So you need to understand this, that there's no higher feeling than making a difference, but you can't do that unless you discover your purpose. And you can't do that if you're still settling for yesterday, and you can't do that without God, and that's why I love being a part of a church. I love being a part of a church because we're constantly taking our next step to dream bigger. So let's walk through those real quick.
The first step on the spiritual journey is to know God. When I say know God, I'm meaning intimately and personally. Intimately and personally. You know, growing up, I, I, uh, my family's understanding of God, okay, was like hardcore tradition. And by hardcore, I mean we only prayed over like the holiest of holy meals, like Easter and Christmas. Those were the two times we rocked out prayer in our house. Okay, the other 363 days or whatever is left, no prayer. But those two meals, baby, they were prayed over, okay, by the best little heathens the world had ever seen. Right, how many of you grew up in a, in a traditional house of that sense? No, just me? Okay, great. How many of you grew up going to church? Right? How many of you grew up going to church, hearing about Jesus every day of your life? Right? Good. All right? So here's what happens to me. I go, I grow up, okay? I don't do this at 18 years old. My girlfriend invites me to church, so I go. She's an angel in this place. She's not an angel in real life, I can assure you. I'm sorry. I don't think I'll get an email, but if I do, I'm sorry ahead of time. But here's the deal. She invites me to this deal, and I had never been to church before, right? So I sit down, and the church is doing this play, right? And the play is called uh, The Last Reunion. And basically what's happening is they're going through different scenes of life, like teenagers and adults and all these things, but in every scene, somebody dies. And when they die... Satan and Jesus come out after they die. Well, actually, depending on how they lived their life in the three minutes previous that we watched, determine whether Satan or Jesus came out. So what would happen is, you know, you'd have the little guy who's pretending to be drunk, and he's hammered on the stage. He's like, yeah, I love to party. And like, doo, 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 doo. Right? He's dancing. Then somewhere, you know, he gets shot out of nowhere, and then he dies, and then here comes Satan. Wow. Right, I'm here to take you, and he screams and gone. Right, and then there's another guy, you know, in the scene, you know, who gave his heart to Jesus right at the last minute. Very convenient for script writing, right? So he gives us life, and then Jesus is like, "Oh, I got you. You're with me." Right. So it goes through like seven different scenes, and at the end of this deal, everybody comes back together, and it's judgment day. Jesus is up top. This stage is huge. Jesus is up top. There are angels everywhere. And they're calling everybody up one by one. And so what happens is one by one, they're walking up and they're like, is the name of John written in the Lamb's book of life? Jesus would ask this question to an angel. The angel would either say, yes, my Lord, to which they would turn and run into heaven and everybody was happy. They were rejoicing. If they said, no, my Lord, this is in a church. Okay, they would turn them to the side and chuck them into a hole. Okay, and the hole legit shot smoke about 18 feet up in the air, and little flames, little fake flames would come up. I'm like, oh, what is going on here? And one after another, every scene that I lined up with was being chucked in the hole. And I'm like, oh, this is not good for Daryl. No one has been. This is really impactful. No one has told me what's going on here. 
So they give up. The pastor comes up at the end. He's like, hey, it's very simple. If you want to give your life to Jesus and not end up in hell like those people we just chucked off stage there. I'm like, that's me. I don't want to go to that thing. I don't want to be chucked into hell. So for seven straight nights, I went to that play, and for seven straight nights, I gave my heart to Jesus because I didn't want to go to hell. And finally, somebody goes, hey, you just have to know Jesus. Start a relationship with Jesus. But here's the problem. There are many people within the sound of my voice that don't understand what Matthew 7 21 and 23 says, it says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Then I say to them plainly, I never knew you away from me, the evildoers. He goes on to say, these people who will not make it to heaven, they do ministry. They heal the sick. They perform miracles but they're still not going to make it to heaven. What's going on? The same word that he used for new is gnokos. They weren't in intimate relationship with God. You can have a form of godliness and not know the power of God, not, not understand that you're not in relationship with God. So you need to know God, right, in order to get there. The second thing is this. You need to find freedom. What I mean is you need to deal with the stuff that's been holding you back from being the best version of yourself. Many of you, 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 if I were to just say, hey, think of an area that is holding you back, right there you would get something. You could talk about an addiction. You could talk about a sin in your life or an area that you haven't surrendered to God. I could even say it like this. What's the one secret that you only share between you and God? That's the thing holding you back from finding freedom. Now, I've got good news and bad news for you because there is a solution. Many of us, we confess our sins to, never mind, I'll try it again. Let's pretend we didn't do it. The answer is Jesus. Many of us, we, can, we, we confess our sins to, there we go, now we nailed it. Second service, I'm going to prep them. We confess our sins to Jesus, and we leave it there. The problem is we're not healed. You're like, how is that possible? How is it not healed? Put up that scripture, boys. Here's what it says. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each. Confess your sins to each. And pray for each so that you may be the reason some of you are still struggling with the same habit over and over again is you've gotten forgiveness. You just haven't been healed. You haven't gone and confessed your sin to somebody else. Now, how would you do that? Go to a small group. How do we get real practical? Go to a small group. Get in a small group. You're like, what's a small group going to do for me? I don't need another Bible lesson. No, but you need people to do life with. You need somebody to have this conversation with. You're like, Pastor Gerald, this isn't comfortable. I get it. You don't have to share it with the whole group, but pull somebody outside. Talk to them one-on-one -on -one and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. You know probably nine times out of ten what you're going to hear? Me too. I didn't know somebody. You're like, Pastor Gerald, you in a small group? Yes. I go to a small group every other Monday night. 
We meet together. We're, we're not, I'm, there are no like other pastors in my small group. But the deal is, is that I have to live life with other people and people with me. I'm not the holy of holies. I need that just as much as you do. Find a small group. Look, small groups are not just a place for those Bible lessons. They're a place for you to find healing and live in community. You're not supposed to do this alone. The third thing here is discover your purpose. If you want to find freedom, first you need to know God, find freedom, and then discover your purpose. Chances are 80% of you right here, studies show that 80% of Christians have no idea what their purpose in life is. 80% of Christians have no idea what part of the body they are. Could you imagine if 80% of our body didn't know what to do? We'd just be flopping around. That's why this church is so dysfunctional half the time. That's why so many churches are dysfunctional, because people stop at finding freedom. They don't go on to discover their purpose. They just stop, I'm good. And they stop trying to find their purpose. They look forward in the way they make money, the way they're living their life, their lifestyle, their houses. Look, I would fair warn you, be careful what you build on earth because it doesn't go with you. So many people, were, were, our purpose is tied to what we're building here, and I'm going, none of it goes. Our inheritance is people. That's the most important part of your life. There are so many people, when they meet with me, they are shocked when I tell them to choose their family over money. Literally shocked. And I'm going, how far away has the church gotten when we can't even say honestly that you should sacrifice money for your family? Every time, anytime, find your purpose. Paul said this, I consider my life worthless unless I finish the race that God has called me to. My life is worthless unless I finish. Paul had a job. Paul had a secular job, and he still considered his life worthless if he didn't find the call and answer the call that God had on his life. Why is it so important to find your purpose? In Romans chapter 12, it says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of you. We have different gifts. The word gifts there is charis in Greek. That's where we get the word charismatic from. Charismatic doesn't mean the person running down here with flags waving Jesus down. That's not what charismatic means. Charismatic is your gift. What are you using with your charis? What is your charis, and how are you using it to impact God's kingdom? Can I give you some low-hanging fruit, some easy options for every one of you? Let me give you some easy things you could do to make a difference in a spiritual context, in the kingdom. Some of you have never held a baby. Work in the nursery. Some of you, you're like, well, I can't do that. I, I can help set up. I can wake up early, start setting up, volunteer in the nursery, join a small group, lead a small group, do something, make your spiritual life a priority. There is nothing more fulfilling than doing something. One of the greatest days of my life was doing a wedding for a kid whose butt I wiped in the nursery. It wasn't even my own. 
I did his wedding. I was like, Gabriel, this is the coolest day I've ever had. I've wiped your butt, now I'm doing your wedding. How awesome is that? You will get no better feeling in life knowing that you have impacted the life of somebody else. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to live on purpose for a purpose. You're designed. God knew the plans he had for you. Nate, if you'll come join me, I'm about to close with this. Woo! Pastor Craig Rochelle shares this story, and I love it. Love this story. And it happens in Florida. Of course, my people would do this. But in Florida, Greyhound dog track. One day, they were, they were lining up, and I don't know if you know what, what encourages the Greyhounds to run is, is a bunny, a fake bunny on a track. It's got real fur, it's mechanical, it kind of bounces around, and all the dogs, when they fly out of the chute, chase the bunny. So, Ray starts, dogs fly out. We get to the first quarter mile, and about the first quarter mile, the bunny literally explodes. Has a malfunction, fur everywhere, mechanics of the bunny have gone everywhere. But what's interesting is the response of the dogs. They kind of fall into three camps. Some dogs just lay down. There's no reason to run anymore. They just lay down and take a nap. The second dogs, group of dogs, just start barking at the crowd. Just aimlessly barking at the crowd. There's a third set of dogs that are still obsessed with pieces of the bunny. So they run off the rails. They end up hurting themselves. Several break legs and ribs and all things, chasing themselves. That's such a picture of humanity. It is so clear when they're not chasing the right thing, some of them just lay down. Some of them just start yelling at everybody else. And some of them just end up hurting themselves because they don't know what they're chasing. The last thing is this, to make a difference. John 15, verse 8 and 11 says, This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Some people are like, oh, man, that, that sounds pretty harsh. It's pretty demanding. But I've told you this. So a bunch of people get blessed. No, that's not what it says. I've told you this because that's what I want you to do. No, that's not what it says. He said, I told you this, that you may find joy. Because he found it. Jesus is saying, you haven't discovered what life is like until you've discovered what it's like living for somebody else. Making a difference. I would wager to say you have not experienced joy until you've been able to put your head down at the end of the day going, man, I made such an impact on somebody else's life. Some of the most miserable nights of sleep I've ever received are the most fulfilling nights of sleep I've ever gotten. I've been in the middle of literal jungles 
sweating my head off, can't fall asleep with a grin on my face going, man, I have just helped people that Jesus would help. I have been in ISIS-controlled territory preaching the gospel. Put my head down knowing that we're being split up because we could be killed. That's just kind of the deal there. Putting my head down and going, man, I made a difference today. Can I challenge you to take your next step? I'm going to close with this. Many of you, you're never going to get the opportunity to come up here and preach. But I can tell you something. The emotion that is taught up here, the, the, the sheer just like stress of how you say things, how you word them so that nobody will get mad or write an email or, or say you're, you're this mean-spirited person. You kind of have to hold back because if, if I just let it all out, I would scream. I can remember about 20 years ago, we were having a youth leaders gathering at our pastor's house. And at that house, we were allowed to bring our kids that night. And there was this one kid. He's a great kid now. God bless him. But there's one kid. He was about four years old at the time. And he is literally destroying the pastor's house. Okay, he's putting his feet on the walls. He's running outside. He's climbing up the wall, leaving mud prints. He's taking one bite of food and chucking it. He's hitting people. And the whole time, because when you're a pastor, you can't just come out and say things. You have to dance around them to people. I'm like, hey, have you seen your son? Have you kept your eyes on your son? Oh, yeah, he's doing fine. And everything inside of me is he's like, he's not doing fine. He's not. He's destroying the house. Grab your kid before I beat him. That's what's going on inside of here. So you can't say what you're going to say because it's all encapsulated in there, but it doesn't change the truth. And I'm not going to say what I really want to say this morning, but can I say this? We need to start moving, taking our next step as a church. Can I say that? Can I say that with you understanding that I want to be screaming? Right? That when I see an empty seat, it literally kills me. Can I say that? And it's not because we need to build a church. It's because we're here to make a difference. I don't just want to gather every weekend. I don't just want to entertain the troops. I want to make a difference. I want to see people's lives change. And it doesn't matter where you are today. Are you going to go another week without knowing God? Are you going to go on hanging on to the pain, the sin, that habit? Really, another day, another year, you're not going to discover the second greatest day of your life. The day you're born is the first greatest day of your life. The second is when you discover why. That's the second greatest day of your life, the, the day you discover why you were born. Don't you want to live a day knowing that you made a difference, putting your head down at night going, no, I made a difference. I changed somebody's life. Come on, take your next step today. Take your next step. Will you bow your heads with me all across this place?
online, Branchville, whatever the case might be. If you're here this morning, you're like, you know what, Pastor Earl, I, I know religion, but I don't know God. I don't know Jesus. And I need that today. Will you raise your hand so I can pray for you right now? Thank you. I need Jesus. I know religion, but I don't know Jesus. If that's you, put your hand up right now so I can see it. Maybe you're in that second category, the, the step you need to take. You need to find freedom. You're trapped in the same sin over and over and over again. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can pray for you? You're tired of being stuck in the same thing over and over and over again. Thank you. Thank you. The third thing is this. You need to discover your purpose. You're like, Pastor Earl, I don't know where my purpose is. I want God to help me find it. If that's you, raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. God, help me find a purpose. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. The fourth thing is this. If you're like, you know what? I know my purpose. Now, God, give me the full impact to make a difference. I know what God's been asking me to do. I just haven't started doing it yet, Pastor Earl. That's me. I need to make a difference. Will you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. I pray that you would give them the knowledge of who you are. Help them to find freedom. God, give them their purpose and help them to make a difference. God, we trust you. We honor you. We bless you today in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me all across this place? Stand with me. If a moment ago you fell into number one, you're like, if you raised your hand a moment ago, you said, I need to know Jesus. There were several in here. If that was you and you meant business with God, Pastor Paul is right here. I want you right after service to find him and pray with him. If you were in that second camp, man, you've been stuck in this sin over and over again. Same thing. Come up here. One of our staff members will pray for you. He'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. We want to break this cycle. Amen. Amen. Will you stretch your hand out with me as I pray over you this morning? May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.